It was November 1975. 75 convicts started digging a secret tunnel. And it was designed to bring them up onto the other side of Saltillo Prison in northern Mexico. On April 18, 1976, guided by pure genius, they tunneled up into the nearby courtroom in which many of them had been sentenced. <laughs> the surprised judge returned all 75 of them to jail. They thought that their calculations were correct. And I think that's what the devil likes to deceive people into believing as well. That their calculations are correct. He likes to get people excited about Bible prophecy and take them on a road that seems to be correct. But you wind up in a destination that you never should have been. When you talk about the end times, most Christians immediately think of Israel, a rebuilt temple, the Antichrist entering the temple and proclaiming to be God himself. There will be a final war that escalates into something Armageddon. But our question tonight is, is that the scenario of the Bible? To understand modern Israel and the end times, we must understand who Israel was in the Bible. Who was the first man named Israel? To find out, we'll go to Scripture. If you want to follow along, I invite you to take your Bibles out. Be sure to take down some notes. Some of these I will be going through somewhat quickly. The name Israel was first a name applied to Jacob. We read this in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and has prevailed. This represented his spiritual victory over sin through wrestling in prayer and proclaiming God's grace in his life. Later in Exodus chapter 4, 22 and 23, we read, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Later, when Jacob's descendants are coming out of Egypt, this is what the Bible has to say about them. Now, when we look at it here, the name Israel is expanded. It's not just including Jacob anymore, is it? It's including his descendants. So therefore, we can conclude from that, Israel was first applied to a victorious man, and then to his descendants after him. And I think that you'll see that that's a very important point as you follow along. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, about 800 BC, the Lord spoke this, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Yet by this time, the nation of Israel had failed to live up to the spiritual meaning of its name. Fast forward about 800 years, and you find a prophecy in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And there... And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. 
This is talking about Jesus. When, when he was a young child, his parents had to take him away from Israel because Herod, he made a decree to kill all the baby boys. And so his parents took him to Egypt. And he was later called out of Egypt. I want to look at some parallels. Parallels between Israel, some things in the Old Testament and the New. You can take these down as references. I'm not going to read every single verse. But you'll notice in Genesis 45 and verse 5 that Joseph has a dream and he goes to Egypt. You go to the New Testament, we find in Matthew that there's another Joseph and he has a dream and he also goes to, Jesus, to Egypt. And who did he take with him? Took Jesus. Exodus 4.22, Israel comes out of Egypt and God calls them, my son. And Christ is also called my son when Jesus comes out of Egypt. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2, Paul says that Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. We also see that Christ was baptized and he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness and declared my beloved son at the time of that baptism. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 35, you see that Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Christ, we find, spent how many days in the wilderness? 40 days in the wilderness, right? A very similar um, scenario, both using the number 40. We can find that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 8, Israel is called a vine which was brought out of Egypt. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was one who had gained spiritual victory over sin. And Christ in the New Testament is the victorious man who overcame all sin. In Exodus 19 and verse 26, it says, And ye shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, God referring to his people, the nation of Israel. But if we read in 1 Peter 2, 9, we see this same language applied to God's New Testament church. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. So one man, victorious over sin, that was Israel. And then it was used to refer to a group of people who were to take on that man's characteristics moving forward. But Christ was the one man who truly provided the victory over all sin. And his children are to take on his characteristics and share in his blessings. First John chapter 1 and verse 12, I believe, demonstrates this concept beautifully. It says here, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name. That's why many of you are here tonight. You've called on the name of Jesus. You've become one of his children, right? Because Christ has made a way. In Galatians chapter 3, 
28 and 29, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Bible tells us if we belong to Christ, we can partake in the blessings that were promised to Abraham. Paul also talks about this group. He makes a distinction. In Romans chapter 9, he says, For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He's making a distinction here. We're going to see this in Scripture. He's calling his countrymen an Israel after the flesh, keeping in mind that Paul is also Jewish. In Romans 9, verse 6, it says, But it is not that the word that God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Well, that's an interesting statement that Paul makes. Not everybody who claims to be part of the Jewish nation is what he's saying. He's saying is truly an Israelite making a distinction between the two groups. He, he continues, he expounds upon this a little bit more in Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. This is what we read in the Bible for God's criteria for those who to be called Israel. That's God's criteria. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And what is Jesus going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins. Right from the very beginning, when Jesus was born, we see God's intention was to save how many people from sin? His people. Who are his people? We, we already read that in 1 John 1.12, right? To as many as believe on his name, to those he gave the right to become the children of God. 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. You see, God has a matchless love that he wants to bestow on each one of us. He calls each and every one of us tonight his children. You know, he first loved you before you could love him. The Bible says that. In Luke chapter 20, verses 30 and 32, it says, Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. How many peoples? All peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. We're precious to Jesus. And his coming was a surety that even Gentiles could be, could be included in the promised gift of salvation. You see, God's plan of salvation is inclusive as possible. The Bible tells us that God does not want any to be lost. He's not willing that any should perish. Did you know, though, that God's plan of forgiveness was right on time. His plan to include everyone was prophesied with pinpoint accuracy, as well as his prediction that Israel as a nation 
would reject his wooing, reject the plan that he had for them. We're going to take a look at that tonight. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 23. It seems like Israel was always suffering in the past for rejecting God's will for their lives, and we should learn a lesson from that. The prophet Daniel was very heavy-hearted, and he was trying to understand a vision that was given to him in Daniel chapter 8. And so the angel comes to him. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 23, it says, At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, this is the angel speaking, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision, the vision that happened in Daniel chapter 8. Now, we're not talking about Daniel chapter 8 tonight, but that's what he's referring to. The angel came and he said, I want to help you understand this. He said, you've had a lot of difficulty with this, and um, I want to make sure that we're clear. You see, God's people had gone into captivity for 70 years, and Daniel was praying, and he was studying Old Testament passages. One of the passages, he was, one of the books he was studying was in Jeremiah. And, and Daniel came across the passage, and he was trying to figure out when would this, this captivity end? In Jeremiah chapter 25, 11, it says this, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Daniel, by studying, knew they were almost at the end of those 70 years. Why were they in captivity for 70 years? Do you know? The Bible indicates it was for a few reasons. Um, earlier, if you look in Jeremiah chapter 25, you'll see that God's people rejected his messengers and they participated in idolatry. It says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Second Chronicles, I believe it adds some detail. It says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. You see, they had not let the land rest every seven years as part of Levitical law. And they did that over a period of 490 years. So for every time that they did that, they went into captivity 70 years, because it was done 70 times. That's where we get the time frame. So that's 490-year time span that he was struggling with them. And I think you'll find that number interesting as we move forward. But let's go to Daniel chapter 9. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now quickly, just before we move on, who came to make an end of sin? Jesus did. Who came to reconcile humanity to himself? And when Daniel says, 70 weeks are determined for your people, who are Daniel's people? Israel, right? That's his people. Okay, we move on. The second part of that verse says to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Who brings everlasting righteousness? Jesus. That's something God would only be interested in, right? Clearly, everything we just mentioned could not happen in one year and four months. 
that would be 70 literal weeks. So if it's not 70 literal weeks, then what is it? Well, let's discover that sometimes in the Bible, a day does not mean a literal day. It means a prophetic day. And we want to know how long that is. We're going to look at a couple of texts. So you can write these down and look at them later, but we're going to go through them now. According to the number of years, this is in Numbers 14.34, or sorry, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your iniquity one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. So we see here, a day is being applied as if that day is a year, not a literal day. Ezekiel 4, 6, it says, And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side, and you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. So both of these passages are telling us one day is equal to a prophetic time period called a year. Okay? A day is a year. It's very important. Recognizing that, 70 weeks or 70 times then times seven days would be 490 years. Okay. God was giving Israel 490 years to come to repentance. So now the question is, when did the 490 years begin? Let's go to Daniel chapter nine, verse 25. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. Now, very quickly, who is the Messiah? Jesus, Jesus right? Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, the Bible only refers to one being, one person, one man as the Messiah. Okay. Second part of that verse says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. So, from the time of the decree until Messiah would come, it says there would be 69 weeks. That's if you add them together, 7 plus 62, 69 weeks, or 483 years. So now, where in the Bible do we find that decree? In the book of Ezra, there's a decree in chapter 7. And this is the decree that Artaxerxes gave when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah he could go back and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. When would this decree have been issued? Well, fortunately for us, the Persians were very good at keeping records. And we know we can nail that down in history as the year 457 B.C. Okay? So we take 457 B.C. We add to it 483 years, and we know what's going to happen? Messiah the Prince should show up on the scene of Earth's history. And so that would bring us to the year um, 27 A.D., now, keep in mind that you have to be, do a little bit of uh, uh, interesting math here. There's no year zero, okay? So you go from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. We have to account for that in our calculations, okay? No year zero. 
So here's our Bible math calculator here, breaking it down for us. So Messiah the Prince, or Jesus, should appear in 27 AD according to this prophecy in Daniel. Do you know what the word Messiah means? I, heard, I think I heard a Bible student say it. It means the anointed one. So when was Jesus anointed? That's the question. He was anointed at his baptism. And when did that happen? Somebody's tracking. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. Now, these are all historical markers for us. I mean, this is loaded with information. We should be able to go back in history and say, when did this happen? When did this happen? When did this happen? When did this happen? Because they're historical anchor points for us. Continuing on, it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized and when he prayed, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. The 15th year of Tiberius Caesar we know from history to be 27 A.D. Wow, pinpoint accuracy. That prophecy was given. And we can know that we can trust the Bible because it lines up so well with history. It's amazing what we can find in Scripture. Jesus was baptized right on time according to the prophetic word of God. Galatians 4.4 puts it this way, um, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. That means according to the time prophesied. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. After his baptism, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. What time is he talking about? Jesus could have said, The time prophecy has been fulfilled, right? He could have said that. But the Jewish leaders and scholars... They were looking at the prophecies. They were looking at their calendars. They were saying, it's time. According to the prophecies, we know that it's time. The Messiah should show up on the scene now. But you know, there were false messiahs and there were false prophets. There were people taking advantage of the prophecies. They knew the Messiah would soon be revealed. They knew it. When Jesus was baptized, he couldn't just say, I am the Messiah they would have killed him. It could have been very damaging to his ministry. Instead, he prodded them saying, I think you're looking for the Messiah. And guess what? The time is fulfilled. He was announcing himself as the Messiah, but in a very gentle way. Jesus was referring to the time prophecy that we read about in Daniel chapter 9. But that prophecy also predicted some of the worst times for Jesus. Adapting old chapter 9, verse 26, it says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. You know, Jesus 
was crucified on the cross. He was cut off for you and me. Verse 27 says, He shall confirm the covenant with the many for one week. Right? In the middle of that week, he was cut off. But he would confirm that covenant for one week. Now the New King James says, a covenant. The King James says, the covenant. It's all right, either way. We're talking about the same thing. Jesus would confirm the covenant with the many for one week. In other words, seven years. In the midst of the week, it says that he would cause sacrifice to cease. How did he do that? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the sacrificial system came to an end. It wasn't needed anymore, was it? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two. We now have access to God directly because of what Jesus did. You'll find that in Mark 15, 38, if you want to look that up. God was saying no more sacrificial system, no more temple services. It's done. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And when that veil was split in two, God was saying, The true Lamb has come. There's no more need to bring lambs to the temple anymore. My son Jesus is the true Lamb. So let's quickly review this magnificent time prophecy once more. Okay, There was a decree in 457 B.C. After 69 weeks, Jesus would be anointed and he would be baptized in the year 27 AD. In the middle of that week, in the middle of that 70th week, he would be cut off. He would die on the cross and that would be AD 31. And that tells us then that the 70 weeks would end in 34 AD. Now remember, God gave Israel 490 years to repent. They didn't. What happened at the end of the 490 years? The Bible makes it very, very clear. We turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 46. We read this. It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. This is Paul speaking. And who is he speaking to? his countrymen, his people. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas were preaching here. The privileges of the gospel are now extended to the Gentiles. First to Israel, but now to all. God said, you, didn't, you did not fulfill your appointed role. I wished you would have fulfilled your appointed role, but you didn't. Now, God's not saying, you can't be saved anymore, Israel. Remember, God's plan of salvation is inclusive. Come to Jesus, right? Believe on his name. Let him be the Lord of your life, and you can still be saved but I'm going to include everybody now. And in 34 AD, Stephen was stoned. 
Paul was there. He held the coats of the men that did it. And after that, the gospel went to the entire world. This prophecy is amazing proof that Jesus is the Messiah. The chances of this just happening, they're too remote. It's not possible. God said ahead of time, there's going to be a decree. And there was. He said, when the decree comes, mark 483 years off your calendar, and you're going to come to the time where the Messiah is anointed. And Jesus was baptized 483 years later, right on time. God said there will be seven more years. And in the middle of those years, the Messiah would be cut off, not for himself. And that was the cross. And at the end of those years, at the end of the seventh year, the gospel would go to the entire world. You see, this whole prophecy is about Jesus Christ. The focus of prophecy is about Jesus Christ. And if the focus of prophecy is not on Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves, why are we studying? This prophecy was brought to Gabriel. He came to Zacharias and Elizabeth to talk about the forerunner, the Messiah. And then Gabriel came to Joseph and Mary. He came to talk about the Messiah. And then Gabriel came to talk about Daniel, to talk about the Messiah. It's a prophecy of God's amazing love extended to his entire creation through his death on the cross. Jesus made a way for all who believe on him through faith. Everyone can be saved. Jews or Gentiles. You know, he came to make a covenant with each of us. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now Paul is taking the same thing that was written in the Old Testament to the Jews, and he's saying, it's been extended to all. I'm going to call all of you Israel now. You're all my children. And I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain and fulfill the blessings and promise to Abraham to all my children because I've died to save them all. And it continues, I will make, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He came to change our hearts so that we would have hearts like his. He came to know us. It says, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And it continues, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He came to forgive us, all of us, Jew or Gentile matters not. What matters is a heart that is turned toward God. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you glad that God has extended the blessings of Abraham to you tonight? Does it bring you joy that Jesus has spread his arms open wide to die on the cross and bring forgiveness to your front door? The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. And Jesus found a way 
to include everyone. If you need to come to him in repentance tonight, you can come with open arms. And if that's your desire, then I pray that you will open your heart to God. You can come to him no matter what you've done and you can repent and you can say, Jesus, I want to be yours. I want to take part in your blessings. I want to be part of Israel. If you want to do that just now, let's pray and you can take some time to bring your heart to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, what an amazing God that you are. You have showed us that you were coming. You were coming right on time. You had a plan to save each and every one of us. And even though Israel had a hard time, you made a way for everybody. And now the blessings that were extended to Abraham can be each one of ours because we are all Israel. You have said so in your word. And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts tonight that we need to repent of, that we need to confess, we bring that to you now because you have died to save us from those sins. And you want each one of us to be saved and in your heavenly kingdom, Jew or Gentile matters not to you. This we pray in Jesus' name.